All right, it is definitely ironic that one of the things uh, that we have in our scripture this morning is we're going to talk about power. <laughs> um, and the irony is not lost on me. If you would, please turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, just feel free to listen along as I read with us, read for us from Matthew chapter 10. As, as you, if you haven't been here, we've been covering, we've been walking through the book of Matthew. Uh, we've been looking at uh, everything that's happened from chapter 1 uh, up until now that we've, we're hitting chapter 10. It's been several weeks. And in the past couple of weeks, the past few weeks, we've looked specifically at the very, the important teachings of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which is called his Sermon on the Mount. And then we looked at Jesus's the miracles, many of the deeds that he performed on earth, which is Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And now, um, as we continue our study of the kingdom, Jesus is going to send out his apostles, his disciples. So let's dive right into the action as we start with verse 1 of chapter 10. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town." Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. 
If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So ends the reading of God's word. It's difficult to do modern life without power. Are you feeling that this morning? (laughs) It's really hard. It's hard to figure out music. It's hard to figure out just the logistics of this morning. And I'll be honest with you, it's also very difficult for me to do modern life without power. I tried it. I tried it summer of 2012. Y'all may remember this. Y'all may have been in Charlottesville at the time. But do you remember summer of of 2012 when we walked outside and it looked like a storm was coming? Things started to kind of rattle on your front porch and you know, it felt like it was a, a front was moving in. And then it felt like a really, really big front was moving in. And then it felt like a hurricane was moving in. Even though we live in the mountains and aren't anywhere near the ocean. Do you remember this? The derecho of 2012? That's what they call it, apparently. It's some sort of freak windstorm. Well, that was tough. We lost some back, back patio furniture. You know, we wondered if the windows might crack and blow in on us. We were a little scared when the, when the derecho was moving through our house. But that wasn't nearly as difficult as the days following the storm, where we lost power. Did any of y'all lose power? Few of y'all. Okay, so we were in the mountain, little mountain town of Lexington, which is about an hour from here. And we lost power, and we were not going to get it back. So we had a, what, one month old? Two weeks. We had a two-week-old baby. And it's 95 degrees, and there's no wind, and I'm thinking that this is going to be suffering, but we can tough it out. So we toughed it out that first night. All of us slept downstairs in one room together. The kids all crammed on a pallet in the middle of the room, and we sweltered. We were miserable. We were, no one, no one slept much, and it was awful, and Christy decided, I'm out of here. <laughs> so she packs up the kids in the car and she heads on down to her parents' house in Durham, North Carolina. And so I'm left behind. And so I get one more night in that house. And let me tell you, I am terrible at modern life without power. Easily the worst night's sleep I have ever had in my life. I just laid on a bed uh, without stuff on my body and uh, without clothing, I should say, and laid out spread eagle on the bed and just sweated through the night. It was awful. There was no breeze. You couldn't turn a fan on. Miserable. Miserable. The same is true. Jesus is teaching us this morning for the mission of the kingdom. The same is true for the disciples, the apostles, the early church, for us. You cannot do mission without power. And that's what he's telling the disciples here. He's saying, I'm going to send you out. And this is an incredibly dangerous journey. But I'm not sending you out without power. And I'm going to explain that as we kind of walk through the passage this morning. But I want to start with this. If you're a note taker, if you're an outline person, if you like to just kind of pay attention, there's three things I think that we see Jesus teaching in this passage this morning. And certainly, we're going to talk about resurrection. There's no doubt about that. But here are the three things we see from Jesus. Jesus calls. Jesus empowers and Jesus sends. That's what he does. It's what he does. And, and we know from the very end of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, we know that he didn't stop 
calling, and he didn't stop empowering, and he didn't stop sending. Because at the very end of the book, it says, all authority has been given to me, and I'm sending you out as disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It continues on. So the same is true for us, and I think you'll see that as we walk through this today. But the first thing to notice is that Jesus calls. Think about the the people that were named right here at the beginning of chapter 10. He's, he, there's a list that Matthew, the author of this book, uh, gives us. He, he, he lists by name the first apostles. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Thomas, uh, Simon again, the zealot, Judas Iscariot. And part of the reason is he wants us to understand these are real people. These are real people that, that did not go searching for Jesus. This is really important. Jesus found them and called them. He, he sought them out. He literally would walk up to them as they were fishing, as they were sitting at their tax collecting booth, and he said, come, follow me. And immediately they left all behind and followed him. Jesus calls. What's so important about this? It's important for us to remember this because it's, it's helpful for us to be humble before the Lord, to know that it wasn't, it wasn't us picking from a lineup of different religions no, Jesus moves into, God moves into our lives. He moves into us. He finds us where we are. And He calls us where we are. He does it. He's constantly doing it. And He's using other people in, in the lives of us and, and those around us here in Charlottesville because His call still goes out today. He is the great initiator. He is the one who pursues. He is the one who finds. Now here's, here's another comforting thing to remember from that truth that truism of Jesus going out and Jesus calling. It's helpful for us to remember that because when things get hard, when things get, uh, when the doubts creep in, when the unbelief comes, we are not the ones holding on to Jesus. He is the one holding on to us. I'll never forget when I uh, talked to my mom uh, about a year after my sister her freshman year of college, got pregnant. And I remember, I remember talking with my mom, and, and, and she had gone through an incredible struggle of faith, an existential crisis um, of what she believed, why she believed it, why God would allow something like this to happen in her life. Um, this, this, this guy that, that um, uh, got together with my sister, he ended up leaving after like six months, left her with a brand new baby, uh, and, and she was abandoned, essentially. And so my mom is, is processing this, and I, and I talked to my mom, and I said, I said, why? Why did you stick with it? Because she had already told me that she would, was ready to walk away from her faith, ready to walk away from God, and she said, the only thing I know, the only thing I understand is that God was the one that was holding on to me. God was the one that was keeping me from leaving. And that's the, the same is true for all of us. Ephesians talks about this. God is the great pursuer and God is the great finisher. He is the author of our faith. Think about this for a minute. God is the author of our faith and he's the finisher of our faith. He is always calling. He is always faithful. He is always pursuing. The question is, is he calling you today? Is he calling you? Do you hear his voice But it's also important for us to remember not just that the apostles were called, but it's incredibly important, and this is the most important point of of the day today, that he first calls them and then he empowers them. 
empowers them. You can see it in verse 1. And we're going to spend a few moments on this. And he called to him, there it is again, he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. It says Jesus gave them authority. The Greek word there is exousia. The Greek word is exousia. This word means power. It means authority. It means uh, control. And basically what, what, what Jesus does, whenever he is first encountering, when he first calls, he empowers. He imparts authority. He imparts power. Let's talk for just a minute about this exousia, the authority of the king. I think the best way for us to, to grasp the authority or the power of God is to think about some of the analogies the Bible gives for the same power and the same authority. Here are some of the analogies Scripture gives. First of all, slavery. Slavery. I mean, you could, I mean, you could think of this in, 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 in historical terms, even here, but the way the Bible talks about slavery is bondage. And the people are in bondage, whether that's actual physical slavery or spiritual slavery. And the Bible talks about the fact that that, that slavery is like being owned. It's like being owned by addictions, being owned by uh, problems in our life, being owned by desires. Or it could be even by other people, being owned by a boss or a job. And, and, the, and the Bible talks about the fact that, that, that Jesus and his power, God's power, is above any of that. Always. This is the power of God. The power of God frees from bondage, frees from slavery, the slavery of sin. God is always the one who is on top of that, above that, over all those other powers. Another analogy, so that's the first one, slavery is one of the analogies the Bible uses. Another analogy the Bible uses to help us understand the power of God is being indebted. Have you, it, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? But I'm just curious. Have you ever been in big debt? Like indebted to um, the government or to someone else you owed money to, the mafia perhaps? Um, or, or maybe the credit card companies? Or maybe the bank? Or the university? Anybody ever been in, indebted like that? What does it feel like? Terrible. <laughs> who's, who's that? Terrible. Okay. What did you say, Doug? Okay, yeah, it's got, it's got, it's got feelings like that, that, like that bondage, that slavery that we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've got, there's authority over you. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible, the Bible gives multiple different stories about people that are indebted. That guilt, the weight of guilt, the weight of sin, the weight of shame will enslave you. It enslaves us all at t- different times. And, it, and, it, and it, 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 the Bible talks about it being like a, a huge debt, an unpayable debt that we owe towards God. And that will, it will absolutely dominate your life. But again, the exousia of God, the power of God is above that. The authority of God is above that. And that is the type of authority that God is giving to these disciples here as he sends them out. And it's the type of authority even that we're still given today. This type of authority. Last analogy. Darkness. 
What does it feel like to be in deep darkness? Hopeless. Hopeless. What does it feel like if you're in deep darkness, if you get locked in a closet, or you get lost at night? What are your emotions? What are your thoughts? I'll answer my own question. (laughs) Fear. Fear, right? A feeling of being lost. And the Bible talks about the fact that that is a feeling that is common to human beings that have not experienced the authority and the power of God. Something funny is happening. Oh, he's running. (laughs) The line's running. I was like... I was like, that's definitely more entertaining than what I'm doing. Here. Um, I know. Hey, I think they're doing quite well. They're doing quite well. Yeah. Not. Hey, I like distractions. It's all good. Distractions are all good. That's why I like being meeting outside. Okay, so three ways that we see the authority of God at work in Scripture. This power, this exousia, freedom from slavery, freedom from debt, a light in the darkness. The Bible talks about these things constantly. Um, And this is the same type of authority that Jesus is giving to these first apostles, these disciples. He says, this message of the kingdom, this message that it's at the heart of the book of Matthew, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. That message will be completely impotent without the power of God behind it, without the exousia and the authority of God behind it. God has to actually be able to do something. He has to be able to actually do something. You can't just give the message, God is king, Jesus is king. You can't say that without God actually having the power to back it up. And that power is given to us. The phrase, the message of the disciples were, were to preach, the kingdom of God is at hand, is like saying the king has come and he's laying claim to what is his. I can't do modern life without power. God knows the disciples, the apostles, his followers cannot do mission, cannot go out without power, without the power of God. Tap into that power. How? Scripture is also very clear how we tap into that exousia, that authority, that power of God. We see it in the first chapter of John. Here's here's what it says in the first chapter of John. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know what that word right is in the Greek? Exousia. He gives, those who believe in his name, he gives the exousia to become children of God. There is power in being called a son or a daughter of the king. There is power that we live into, that we breathe into, in the fact that we are united with God. He says, those who were not born of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is always the pattern for those who follow Jesus. There is a turning from the facade of our own authority 
And there is a belief in the fact that the king has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, so point two. It's actually the final point, but it's a long one. So I'm going to make it quick. Don't you worry. So the first thing is Jesus calls. Jesus calls. Jesus empowers. We've just looked at that. And Jesus sends. And this one is really interesting in this particular passage. Jesus sends out, but he warns very sternly. He warns the disciples, the apostles here. He says, it's going to get really, really ugly. Are you ready for this? There is going to be an incredible amount of persecution. There's going to be an incredible amount of conflict. If you go out and you begin preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you bring authority with that, watch out. Why? I think it's a valid question to ask why. Why Jesus warns the disciples so sternly, persecution is coming. I find it slightly confusing at first blush. The reason I find it slightly confusing is because the message of Jesus seems so good and friendly, right? I mean, we, we looked at it. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we looked at the fact that Jesus says things like, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, turn the other cheek. Be good to others. Don't judge. Treat others as you would have them treat you. These are, these are the teachings of Jesus. Like, that, doesn't that seem great? <laughs> doesn't that seem helpful? Why would he then tell his disciples, you're going to go preach those messages and people are going to get really, really, really angry with you. Why? Because they're not going to reciprocate. Maybe. There's more to it than that. There's more to it than that, yeah. Yeah. The reality is this. Jesus, in coming in his mission to the earth, and in sending out the disciples on their mission on this earth, was entering enemy territory. Absolutely entering enemy territory. What are the three things the Bible lists as arrayed against the kingdom of God and his power? The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the... The world opposes the message of Jesus because it seems so weak. Right? I mean, the message of the world is get what's yours. Get what's yours now. Look out for number one. You're going to have to walk all over people to get what you need and want out of this life. Jesus comes along with his, with his message of the kingdom and it seems utterly ridiculous and absurd. I'm sure you've experienced it. You've experienced someone making fun of you, someone thinking you're silly because you believe these things that Jesus is teaching. Because someone who really believes to turn the other cheek is going to get walked all over. And yeah, you probably will. And Jesus is clear, though. He's clear there's power in this message. There's power behind this message. The second thing arrayed against Jesus, we don't have time to go in depth into it this morning. You see it in Ephesians chapter 2, you see it in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul talks about it, is there is a spiritual realm that is powerful, that is evil, and that is, that is pressing against the things of God. It's real. If you believe the Bible, it's real. There, is, there are forces of darkness that are arrayed against any progress of God. Anything his kingdom would do. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Or you've ever experienced that type of oppression. But I'll tell you what. I, I've met a lot of folks since, becoming, since showing up here in Charlottesville. And I've met a lot of folks that have been 
deeply oppressed. Um, they talk about it openly. They, they, they don't say, I, I go to church or I believe in Jesus. But they say, there's darkness and I, I feel absolutely overwhelmed by it sometimes. There's a deep darkness in this world. And Jesus is coming up against that. His power, his kingdom is bumping up and there's, there's going to be conflict. The last thing is the flesh. Sin. Sin of human beings. Why is this opposed to the things of God, the kingdom of God? Here's why. We all have things in our life that we've let have authority over us. And on top of that, we like to have authority of our own life. This message of, honestly, if you're honest about it, this message of Jesus, this message of God, that there is a king and it's not you, <laughs> is hard. This is deeply offensive to the vast majority of people in the world, including myself. It's vast. Here's another way to put it. Okay, God, I know you're the king. Don't touch my lifestyle. Don't touch my stuff. Don't touch my money. Don't touch my family. Don't touch my dreams and hopes. Don't touch my job. Don't touch... I've got some stuff figured out. Don't mess with it. (laughs) Because the kingdom that Jesus preached when he was here and the kingdom kingdom message that he gave his disciples was your stuff's going to get touched. Your stuff's going to get messed with. Jesus is going to get all up in your business because it's going to be an incredibly close, tight-knit relationship. That's what happens in relationships, doesn't it? (laughs) If someone really loves you and you really love them, truly, they get up in your business every once in a while and you get up in theirs. Because it's not love otherwise. It's not love. Now, there are things, as I just mentioned, there are things arrayed against the kingdom of God. And we see this clearly in the lead up to Easter Sunday and lead up to the, resu- the crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus got all up in the business of the, the Jewish ruling religious leaders of the day to the point where they were like, he needs to die. They had a religion set up, and when I say religion, I don't mean pure Judaism. I don't mean the religion of the Old Testament. I mean they had a system of rules set up that we all still do today to make themselves feel better than other people and to feel okay before the power behind life. It was a system. And Jesus came in and he started messing with it all over the place. He started saying, you know, I am the king. Your rules are not king. And they were incredibly frustrated with him. Everything they'd built their life upon, let me, let me close with this. Paul the Apostle is the best example of Jesus messing with the Pharisees, with the Jewish religious leaders. Paul had the perfect, Paul the Apostle, who wrote the letters to the Ephesians, who wrote the letters to the Romans, he had the perfect life. He describes it in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I was a super Jew. I was a super smart super Jew. Really. Like he had by far the best education you could get in that area of the world at the time. He was incredibly well educated. On top of that, he also was fastidious with his religious practice. He was a rule follower to the T. I mean, the dude was literally flawless. 
He followed the rules. He was the perfect kid. He was the kid you want in your family. I wish I had one of those. He also talks about the fact that his bloodline was awe-inspiring. He was, from the, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, if you wanted to stand before God and say, I've got God's blood flowing through me, you had the tribe of Benjamin. This is going to get loud. <laughs> wait, we'll wait till the engine passes by. Nice little, uh, this is fun. That's power. That's power. Chugga, chugga. Paul had, Paul had it all. And he describes himself that way. He says, he says, I, I not only was, I only not only thought I was awesome, I was awesome. And then in Philippians chapter three, Paul says, all of that, all of that, my upbringing, my perfection uh, with morals, my education, I consider it rubbish. And he says, I consider it dung. I consider it poop, essentially. Why? He says, because of the surpassing wonder of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Jesus had come into his life, into Paul's life, and called him dramatically. It was a miracle on the road to Damascus. He had called him. He had empowered him with the gospel. He gave him resurrection life. That is... What is behind today? What we celebrate on Easter Sunday. We celebrate certainly the death and the resurrection of Christ, but we celebrate the power, the exousia of God behind it. Because something new has happened. Something different has happened. There is an authority that owns life and death. That owns life and death. That literally... One of the things I love about Charlottesville is I get to know a lot of the owners of businesses. Right? It's awesome. I know the owner of like Shenandoah Joe Coffee Shop. I know the owner of Three Notch Brewery. I know the owner because he lives down the street. I know the owner because he goes to our kids' school. I know the owner of like Millie Joe Coffee. I know the owner of Grit uh, on the downtown mall. It's really fun being in kind of a smaller town. Because when you know the owner, you know that there's some power. <laughs> right? You're going to get little, maybe some little treats here and there. You know? Because you know the guy. You know the guy. It's the power of God. When Jesus calls, Jesus empowers. You know the guy. You know the guy who made the world, who made us, and who made life and death. He has the exousia, the authority to raise. And that's exactly what he did with Jesus. And that's exactly what he's promised to do with us. Lean in today to the power of God. If you're like me, it's easy. It's easy to do life where you go through the motions and you've got the message, but the power is gone. Because you haven't had let God have any authority in your life. You said, God, don't touch. Don't touch my stuff. Let him at it. I'm telling you, God has love for you. And his authority and his power will transform. He promises. He will free us. Whatever you feel oppressed by this morning, there is freedom in Christ. Seek it, even today. Let's pray.
Lord God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this beautiful weather that you've given us out here. Uh, what a glorious day to just be together, to celebrate you, to celebrate Easter, to celebrate the resurrection. What a joy, what a glorious joy, Father, that you, that you have told us that your authority over life and death means that when we place our faith in you, we find life. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who is oppressed by sin, who is oppressed by debt, who is oppressed by life itself, that you would bring freedom, that you would bring new power, that you would bring your resurrection life. And Lord, we pray that as we come to your table, that you would fill us with uh, your spirit. Thank you for teaching us this morning from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.